Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 23. Now the birth of Christ, Jesus Christ, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to, make, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, conceive, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth that you have preserved for us, that we have in our own language in multiple translations to be able to study and see your faithfulness. I thank you that we can see from the very beginning of time, your good plan and your faithfulness to us, Lord. That even though we are not faithful, you are faithful. You are sovereign, Lord, and you will establish your kingdom. You are guiding all of history to worship and to your ends, Lord. And we thank you for that. And I pray that this morning you would be glorified. You would be magnified that we would understand, just as we've been singing, that it's all about you. That we can praise you because you are worthy of it. That we would not praise anything else, but we would praise you this morning and see you more and more glorious for who you really are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are going to be starting this new series, just like Dustin talked about. And we are going to be... I think it's going to be about four to five weeks leading up until Christmas and focusing on what is the meaning of Christmas. What do we look to? What are the promises behind Christmas? And so each week we're going to be talking about that. This first, this first message is on Emmanuel, which we've been singing about, God with us. And what does that mean? And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to Christmas. And I love, I love that we get to do a Christmas series I love that we get to focus on Christmas and what it really means. I get excited every year for Christmas. I really don't like the cold, but the cold reminds me that Christmas is coming, so it's okay, and I'll put up with it. Uh, but I really, I look forward to Christmas every year, uh, and I, I love watching Christmas movies. I love drinking hot drinks. I love the Christmas story tree and being able to hang out with loved ones. But sometimes... I put too much excitement on Christmas. I hype it up a little too much. And I wonder if this has ever happened to you. You get so excited for Christmas, and you think it's going to be a magical day, and then it's, it's not. And this happens to me as I, as I kind of focus on the wrong aspects of Christmas. I get excited about some things that are, are fun, but I forget the promises that we have in Christmas. And so Christmas can let me down. And it can be disappointing at times. And so I'm really excited that we get to start going through why we can be encouraged as we celebrate Christmas. 
That Christmas is more than one day a year when we try to act perfect and we try to clean ourselves up to really just see how broken we are. There are so many more and better promises that we have in Christmas. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at those promises. And so I hope that this message is encouraging, that as you, you hear God's word, that you will be pointed to the faithfulness of God. Because that's what we need. We need the faithfulness of God, and we need to see that more and more clearly. So this morning, as we start out, we're going to start with the Christmas story, like we just read. And the way the Christmas story usually starts out, um, like it does in Matthew, is with Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. And many people, when when they tell someone the Christmas story, that's how they start out. They go to Matthew, and right after the genealogy, they start telling the story of Jesus. And his parents, and what happened. And like we just read, the story starts with Joseph and Mary, who are engaged to be married. And Joseph finds out that his fiancée is pregnant. That's not good. And so Joseph, being a good, good man, wants to break it off quietly. He wants to end things. And then an angel of the Lord comes to him. And the angel tells him the, the child is from the Holy Spirit. That this child will be named Jesus and he will save the people from his sin. And then the author, Matthew, he does this this thing where he adds this little commentary on the side. And he, he adds it in and it's really important for us to understand, but the characters in the story, they don't understand this right at the moment. And so Matthew adds this in and he says... This is to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And he quotes this verse from Isaiah. It says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Okay, we we just learned that Emmanuel means God with us. But what does that really mean? What does God with us really mean? And why why is he saying it here? And I think, I know for myself, sometimes as I'm reading through the Bible and I read little parts like this where it references the Old Testament, I'm like, okay, okay, keep going. I just want to get, keep learning the story. And I can skip over it. And we don't focus on it sometimes. But what Matthew adds here is really important. His quote from the Old Testament is showing us, and it's showing the readers that would have been reading this at the time, that this story is happening in context. That this story is not just a story by itself, but this story has history. You see, there's excitement. There's there's something that's been building up until this point. We come to the story of Christmas sometimes, and the Christmas story is already kind of an old story, right? And so we think that's the beginning, but what Matthew is showing us is that there is so much more context. When we read the phrase, God with us, we think, okay, God with us, cool. What that means, though, for, the, for a Jew who would have been hearing this for the first time is incredible. God with us is a weighty thing that, has, that means something. And we can hear it and be like, cool, okay, good. Yeah, we know the Christmas story. But God with us is something that's huge. And for Matthew's first readers, the Jews, they would have been excited and also confused 
God with us. How is that possible? What is that going to look like? Is it going to be like before? Is it going to be different? What, what does God with us look like? But I know I don't feel that because I don't feel the history as much. And like I said, I don't want to appreciate it. It's like, I wonder if you've ever had this, when you're watching a movie and a character comes in and everybody starts clapping. And you're just thinking, okay, like that was random. And then he does something amazing and it's cool, but you don't really know what's going on and you don't feel the weight of it. And you clearly you're missing out because everyone around you is excited. And you, you realize there was movies before this movie. There's context to this story. There's something that other people know that I don't know. And this happened to, this happened to me and Sarah uh, a few years ago or last year when the, the new Star Wars movie came out right around Christmas. Uh, it's the climax of the movie. Uh, I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat. It's, it's the most exciting part. And Sarah just turns to me and says, like, who is that main character again? <laughs> And I'm just thinking, you missed it. You totally missed it. This is not significant for you because you don't know who that character is and who his dad was and everything. And so I think that can happen to us too as we read, as we read the Bible. We can read it like that. We can read it as these, these little stories all throughout the Bible and these little nuggets and a bunch of little stories that just tell us how to be a good person. We don't really know how it all fits together, but we know that there's some morals and that some of the stories are interesting and you hope the pastor talks about those stories and then some of the stories are boring and you don't want to talk about those. But we miss the context. We miss what's going on. And if we miss the context, we miss what God is doing. You see, the Bible is not a bunch of little stories. It is one epic story. What God is doing from the very beginning to the very end is one story, and how he puts it together is amazing. And we need to see the thread. We need to see how God is faithful. Because if we don't understand the Old Testament, if we don't understand these prophecies, then we're just going to kind of rush through them. We're going to go over them like they're random words, wanting to get a moral out of it and Okay, that was a random part. Let's keep going on the story. I want to get to the part where Jesus flips some tables. And we don't see God's faithfulness. And that's what we need. Especially, I think, as American Christians, we can think that the Christmas story is kind of our story. We think that Jesus died for us Americans. And that he came as a baby. And that, that's our story. But we miss out on the context we miss out on seeing this epic story. What is unraveling? How God is faithful. How he's been faithful from the beginning. That's what we need. We don't need Christmas to be us and all of our feelings of nostalgia and thinking about good times in the past and trying to somehow conjure up good feelings for the present. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness through Christmas. We need to look and see how he is doing an amazing work that no matter what we're going through today, he is still in control. He is still faithful. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Like I said, if you miss the earlier movies, you don't understand what's going to go, what's going on. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be watching those prequels. We're going to go back from the beginning and I'm going to try to fill you in. And 
You'll probably know a lot of the stories, but I hope they're a good reminder of seeing how it fits together. They're not stories by themselves, but they're part of this bigger narrative. And so we're going to go back to see why the Christmas story is so amazing, why it's so revolutionary, and what that, what that really means, what they would have been feeling when they heard God with us. And my hope is that through seeing this plan, it'll lead us to worship God even more, to praise him even more. We want to go back and understand what God with us really means. So we're going to start with the first movie. And for this one, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. Uh, This is from Genesis 1. We know the story. It opens up, and there's God. And he's creating, and he creates everything. He creates man, and he creates woman, and he puts them in a garden. And this is a beautiful garden where everything is good. And this is the first sanctuary. This is the first place where God and his people actually get to come together. And that's what we see. Man and God can walk together as friends. And for a little while, everything is good. They have God with us. They have God with them. They understand what it means to have God with them and guiding them in the garden. But what we find out is that man and woman are not alone in this garden. There's a snake in this garden. And unfortunately, the humans don't listen to God and they choose to listen to the snake. We don't really know who the snake is in the first movie, but later on we'll find out that this snake is actually Satan, the, the enemy of God, the one who hates God and hates his people. And he pulls the humans away. And man and women, woman, they, they decide what is right in their own eyes. They choose what is right rather than looking to God and asking him what is right. And because of that, they disobey. And when, man, when the humans disobey, there's an immediate change. There's this break in relationship. And you see it right away when God comes down to speak and to walk in the garden with his people. They hide from him. They don't want his presence. They hide from him when he calls them. Their their relationship has been broken because of sin. Because they chose to disobey God, there's a break. They run away from God before they could walk with God. They were naked and they were unashamed but now they feel shame. Sin has caused caused shame in their life, and they run from God. You see them start to blame God, to blame each other. The relationship's been broken because of sin. And right then, man and God are separated. And because God is just, God has to punish sin. God has to punish them, otherwise he would not be God. He would not be just. And so the relationship that they once had, God with us, is now broken. And they are expelled from the garden. And I'm sure we've all felt this, a break in a relationship. When you're so close with someone, when you love them, you have a tight relationship, and then all of a sudden, sin devastates that relationship. And there's a, there's a sorrow, there's, a, there's a shame. Things aren't like the way they were, and that's what happens with Adam and Eve. God, because of his goodness, has to punish sin. And that's what he does. There's a spiritual death, and Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. 
They were removed from this paradise they had. And Eden, this first garden, was a paradise, not because of all the good things that were in it, but it's a paradise because God was with them. That's why Eden was a paradise. True paradise is God with us, having him with us, guiding us. That is what they lost. Paradise lost is losing God. So the first movie comes to an end, and it's pretty sad. It's a tragedy. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. And so we move into movie number two. And as we think about movie number two, um, we see that the problem of sin is still not dealt with. So all of, the, all of the drama that started in movie number one holds over to movie number two. But what we see is that God, although Adam and Eve have been kicked out of his presence, he is still faithful. And this is, this is just one of the first things that we see is that when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful. When we reject God, when we have God with us, and then when we reject him, God does not give up. He is still faithful. And so as we move along in movie number two, it shifts focus. We see Noah and the flood, and we see the people increasing and sin increasing. But then we see God zero in on this family, the Israelites. God chooses one man, Abraham, and he promises Abraham his presence. And he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the rest of the world. And that's, that's all we know at first. We know that God is going to bring a blessing through Abraham. But we don't know what that blessing is. Later on, we find out that that blessing is Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. God's going to bless the whole world through Abraham. And he's blessing them with his presence. And that makes sense, right? When you think about what could be the, a better blessing than having God. So this promise to Abraham is actually God's presence. That is what's restored. And so this, this promise is given right at the very beginning of the Bible after, this, after there's been this separation. And we see this blessing that is promised and it's going to be God's presence. And God is with the people of Israel. He guides Abraham and the people of Israel and they grow. And we see that when God is with this people, there are so many blessings It's still not like what it was. They can't walk and talk with God, but there is blessings as these people are under God, as he is guiding them. The family grows stronger and stronger and bigger, and God fights for them. The people are taken away into captivity, and God rescues them with his hand. God is faithful. He is God with them. He guides them and shows them where they should should go. And so we see God with us, He hasn't left. He hasn't given up. But it's been changed. It's different. And we can see that in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. We see that God comes down to speak with his people on a mountain. And so again, this promise of God with us. He's being faithful to fulfill that promise. And he comes down on a mountain. But it's so different than what they had in Eden. God with us is changed. Because of sin, because sin has been introduced and humans are sinful now, they're not as excited to see God. 
And so God comes down on a mountain, and it's a terrifying sight. God comes down, and the people are terrified. Moses goes up onto the mountain to speak with God, but he can't even see God face to face because of sin. And the Bible talks about how the people have to be careful. If they get too close to the mountain, they will die. Just think about that. God coming down, and you know that this God has saved you and rescued you, and yet he's terrifying. He's so glorious that you can't get too close to the mountain because the problem of sin still hasn't been dealt with. So, on the one hand, the promise of God with us is a beautiful blessing. There's, they're rescued from Egypt. The people are rescued and taken care of and provided for. But on the other hand, it's terrifying. As sinful people, they cannot go into God's presence. And so, God with us is still not what it was in Eden. And so, we see that there's this veil. There's this veil that has been put up between God and His people As we keep going, we're going to pop in movie three and see how the story continues to go. And in in this movie, we see that God is still faithful. As the Israelites are moving around the wilderness, God instructs them to build a tabernacle where he can come down and be in their presence. This is God's plan. He wants to be with his people. God comes down and he's in the tabernacle. And later on, we see that Solomon builds a temple for, for God in 1 Kings chapter 6. He builds a permanent dwelling place where God can be with the people and he can guide them. But even this is still not like Eden. We can see that God is faithful to bring his presence, but yet it's still, still not paradise yet. And we see in the, in the temple that they build that while God is with his people and he's among his people, there's still a veil. And there's a place called the Holy of Holies where God would come down and be. But even that place was like the mountain. And only one time a year could one man go in there and be in the presence of God. And if he did it in an unworthy manner, manner he would be killed. And so we see again God's holiness. And you can see that God is faithful and yet more and more, we we start to question, how is this ever going to be possible for God to really be with his people? God with us is terrifying and yet a blessing at the same time. And we know that these ways that God with us is not permanent because they don't deal with sin. They never deal with the the true problem that's dividing us between God. But all of these things point to a future day when that problem will be dealt with. So the book of Leviticus is a book filled with rules showing us how we can be with God, kind of. So showing us what we have to do just to have God there, but there's still a veil. And there's so many rules about purity. But all of these rules point forward. The sacrifices, the temple, all of those things point forward and foreshadow a day when God is going to do something, something new. Those things are fulfilled in Jesus. But the problem is the people still don't value God's presence. Just like Adam and Eve didn't value God's presence in the garden, they don't value his presence in the temple. And the people reject God. Are you seeing a theme? The people reject God, and yet God is faithful. 
And because of the people's wickedness, eventually in Ezekiel chapter 10, God's presence is removed from the temple. God is no longer with us. Again, the movie ends in tragedy. And so we, we go to the next movie, number four. And as we, we see this movie unfold, we see God is faithful. While his people are not faithful, God is still patient and he loves them. And so God sends prophets. God is not absent. He sends his prophets to speak to the people, to call them back to himself, to call them back to worship him and be faithful to him. And these prophets warn the people that if you continue in your wickedness, there is exile coming. Destruction is coming. And the prophets predict that the people will be overtaken and removed from their homelands. Prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah are faithful to preach God's goodness and his faithfulness and his, his judgment on them if they don't turn. But while they are preaching destruction... They are continuing this theme of the blessing that's going to come. And we see this destruction and yet hope in the prophets. Destruction and yet hope. And one of those, one of those prophets is Isaiah. And at first, when you read these, you don't, you don't see them maybe all together. Because it's subtle, this, this hope that is in there. But then when you put it together, you see this this big plan that God has. And one of those promises is that, uh, it's from Isaiah, and as we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So these promises are still here in the midst of the people rebelling, disregarding God. Being unfaithful, God is faithful to, to his people and promising them hope. And the people hold on to these promises because destruction eventually does come. The people are carried off into exile at different phases, but eventually they're all taken off. And now they are again removed from God with us. And just when it seems like it can't get any worse, there's silence. God stopped speaking even through his prophets. The people had rejected him. And God had sent prophets. And then finally, there's silence. For 400 years, the people wait. And they wait. And now can you feel this tension and this this momentum that's building and this weight that when when an angel comes and says God is sending a, a child and he will be God with us how those Jews back in the day what would they have been feeling when you start telling the Christmas story and you say God with us it's not this tame little story anymore of oh that's nice God is with us but it's this thing, this weighty thing that God has been with his people God has been with his people and he's been faithful and yet we have rejected him. God has been faithful and yet he's still faithful. He's not done. He's faithful to fulfill his promises. But he's coming in a new way. 
He's coming in a temple, but a temple of in human flesh. Before, when the people of Israel couldn't get near the mountain or they would die because of God's holiness, now God is coming off the mountain to be with his people. This is amazing. This God that is so holy that can't be around sinful humans is now coming down as a baby. This is incredible. What does this mean? And John writes that in his gospel. He says, Jesus tabernacles among us. A tabernacle could move around and yet it held God's presence. And that's what Jesus is. He's the new and better temple. Come down to be with his people. We see that God is faithful. From the very beginning, his plan has been to be with his people. And Christmas is not the end of the story, but it's just a part of the story where it changes. Hope is introduced. After this period of silence, hope is introduced again. And what we see is that God's plan will be fulfilled. His plan from the very beginning has been to create a people for himself where he can be God with us. To create a people for himself that will worship him forever in a garden. We see this from the very beginning, Genesis. God is with his people. He is walking and he's talking with his people. But there's a snake. And we see God is faithful all the way through until the very end. In Revelation, we see that God will fulfill his promises. The Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a type of garden where God is there and he is with his people. He has won the victory. You see... Sometimes we can think that God was thrown off by sin. That he was, he was frustrated that the snake came along and pulled his, pulled his people away from him. That because Eden didn't work, he has to make, go to plan B. Guys, Jesus and this plan of redemption has, is not plan B. It has always been plan A. God is good And he is creating for himself a people to worship him and be with him forever. And this is part of that plan. And we can see it from the very beginning. Christmas is that middle story where everything changes. And we can see God's faithfulness as we looked to the book of Revelation to see this new garden where God will be with his people. In Revelation 21.3, this is what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. God is faithful. He is doing a work to bring his people to be with him. And actually, more like God being with us. Because we have this idea that we will go up to heaven, but it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down. And that's another picture of God's faithfulness to be with us. I hope you can see this picture of how faithful God is and how he will redeem his people. But if we know the end of the story, if we know where it's going, if we know that God is going to be with his people, how is that possible? Again, 
everything that we've gone over, everything that we've learned so far shows us that God can't be with his people. When we looked at the story of of Mount Sinai, where God came down on the mountain, we saw that if the people even got close to him, they would be killed because of his holiness and their sin. In the temple, people could only go in once a year. And if they did it in an unworthy manner, they would be killed. How can we be, how can we have God with us? How is this possible? Adam and Eve showed us that the punishment for our sin is separation from God, separation from his goodness. The Bible is clear over and over again that we are all sinners. Just like Adam and Eve, we can blame them, but we know that we are also sinful. We are guilty of rejecting God. Our own consciences testify to the fact that we aren't a clean people. So how is this going to happen? How is this story that has been started from the very beginning going to end with God, with his people? Because we know God is faithful. And it's because of Emmanuel. Not God with us, but Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus makes it possible for us to be right with God again. Like we've seen, we can't go to God on our own. Our sin keeps us from that. We are veiled from God. If we get too close, we will be killed because of his holiness. We can't come and walk up to God like they could in the garden. But Jesus can. And what we see is that Jesus is making a way for us to be with God. Jesus is sent by God to be Emmanuel, to be with God, God with us. But that wasn't the final stage. Just having God with us in a human form was still not the end. Jesus came down and lived a perfect life. Jesus lived the life that Adam and Eve were supposed to live. He lived the life that Israel was supposed to live. He was perfect. He could walk into God's presence at any time. And yet, because of God's faithfulness, because of his good plan, Jesus was willing to give up his life for us. Jesus was willing to be rejected so that we don't have to be rejected. Jesus was willing to, on the cross, take the punishment that we deserve so that we don't have to be like Adam and Eve and feel that rejection, that break of the relationship. We can be restored. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, just like what we looked at in the temple where they would make sacrifices and the Holy of Holies where they could only go in once a year. Jesus walked into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for us. He laid down his own life. He was the sacrifice for us. Through faith in Jesus, we now have God with us. Through faith in what he has done, his sacrifice in our place, we can be washed clean. Something that could never have happened in the Old Testament with with the laws of Leviticus, with the sacrificial system, something that could never happen before has now been accomplished through Jesus. We are washed 
by his sacrifice. Jesus was rejected so that we don't have to be rejected. Hebrews 4.16 tells us this. It tells us, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We can draw near to God now. Something that was unfathomable for the people of the Old Testament until Jesus has accomplished it for us. God's promises are being fulfilled. We can see throughout history that God is faithful. When his people reject him, when the people turn away and they are unfaithful, God is faithful. And that's, that's the promise that we have in, in Christmas. That through faith, we can once again have God with us. You see, as we talked about, our sin separates us from God. And as we, if we choose, like the people in the Old Testament, to continue to walk away from Christ and to reject Him, we won't experience God with us. We won't experience God's goodness and the blessings that come. There's a warning to this, that as we see, God is holy. God cannot allow sin, otherwise he would be unjust. And when we reject God, when we say, we want to choose what is right and wrong in our own eyes, like Adam and Eve did, then there will be a separation from God and his goodness. The new heavens and the new earth is a place where we will be with God but we will be a people that, is, that has been cleaned by Jesus' blood. No one will be there without having been cleansed by Jesus. And so that's our warning that we need to take this serious. God is not just a God that puts up with sin, that doesn't care about injustice, that overlooks the pain and the suffering. Justice will be satisfied. But thanks to God that we have Jesus to go before us, to pay that price for us, to, to make us clean so that we can be with God. That's God's promise. From the very beginning of Genesis to the very end in Revelation, we see that God is making for himself a people. He wants to be God with us. And how he does it is incredible. How he fulfills his promises shows his faithfulness. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can look to Christmas and be encouraged because of God's faithfulness, even with our lack of faithfulness. So I want to ask you a question. Have you forgotten God's faithfulness to you? Have you forgotten that He is not done working? That no matter what you are going through, no matter how hard life gets, God is still in control. He's not thrown off by sin. God is not up in heaven afraid of what's going to happen. That is the God that we can believe in and be reminded of in Christmas. That God is faithful. So no matter where you are at in your life, whether you're looking forward to Christmas or not, remember that God is in, in control. He is so good. If you've been waiting and feel like you're about to give up, I would encourage you to keep waiting. If you've not waited 400 years 
like the Israelites have. You, you can wait a little longer. God is faithful. We will see him accomplish his purpose. So I want to encourage you if you, you are feeling discouraged. And for those of you who know you have God with us. You have experienced that. You know what it feels like to be guided by the Holy Spirit. To be led by God. To have God actually tabernacle within us. Through His Holy Spirit. Then I want to encourage you. There's a big story going on that you have been invited into. And now we have a responsibility to bring others into that, into that story. God is inviting us to remember His faithfulness. And to be a part of bringing others to help them see that the Bible is not a bunch of little stories about how to just be a better person, just how to be kind. The Bible is a story about God and Him making a people for Himself. And we get to invite people into that. We get to invite people into a relationship with Jesus where they can be completely forgiven. Where we can have all of our shame and our guilt erased. Not by being a good person, but by allowing Jesus to make us a new person. And so if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you. Keep praying for your lost friends. Keep being a witness during the holiday season for those people that are far away from God. God is faithful. He uses us to bring others to himself. Don't give up. God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that Christmas is such a good reminder. I thank you that we, ha- we can look to the promises, not just once a year, but, but every week, Lord. Every, every day we have your word to see that you are faithful. You have started something, and you will fulfill it. We are just in the middle of this epic story, Father, and I thank you that we know the ending. We've been cleansed, and we are waiting for the day that we will be with you in paradise. And I pray that we would fix our eyes, not on the things that we can see around us, but we would fix our eyes on you. That you would help us to love Jesus and the work that he's done, that we would worship you more and more as we see your goodness and your faithfulness throughout all of history, Father. I thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.